If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We've been working our way through Mark. Some of you know it's been close to a year, 57, 58 messages as we hear from a man who uh, um, actually Paul gave up on, John Mark. And when Paul uh, gave up on him, Barnabas and he split ways and Barnabas restored John Mark, and now John Mark, as we are reading, has sat down with Peter and heard from Peter, eyewitness account. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we read today the words that Peter uh, helped John Mark pen, and uh, I pray that they'll be a blessing to you. A message entitled, Not Far From the Kingdom. If you will, if you found Mark chapter 12, let's stand together and let's read. Picking up in verse 28, verse 28, Mark writes, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel! The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far. From the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray so many times, as we look into your word, we pray that your word will look into us. As we open your word, we pray that your word opens us. Our prayer today is that we hear from you. Our prayer today is that you will come in, and if we are not far from the kingdom, we pray that you will draw us inside. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Can you imagine, can you imagine what this scribe thought when Jesus said, you are not far? From the kingdom. The scribe, as I'll talk about in a second, thought he was really one of the good guys. He thought he was already in the kingdom. Let's put some perspective and context on this. The, the day that we're, re- that we're reading about is t- probably Tuesday of the last week of Jesus' life. It's been a busy day. We've, we've preached through it. 
You remember, he came into the temple, and it seems like he's been confronted by everybody in the building. Everybody who really thought they were the religious elite had now confronted Jesus. It began with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin came to Jesus, questioning Jesus. And when Jesus got through with them, he left them no doubt that he didn't believe that they were going to be inside heaven, inside the kingdom in the end days. When he was through with the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Herodians, two enemies, came together to confront Jesus. This is the concept of the Enemy of my enemy is my friend. Those two groups came and challenged Jesus, trying to give him uh, some kind of question to trap him. And at the end of that discussion, when he was through with them, the Bible says that the groups marveled. They were amazed at Jesus. When he finished with them, the Sadducees came. We know what the Sadducees believe. They don't believe in the resurrection They tried to trap him, and when he was through with the Sadducees, they knew pretty well what he thought of their uh, theology. And this can be summed up in three words. He said, you are wrong. It seems to me that kind of sitting in the background was this lone scribe. He's kind of watching and taking in the events of this Tuesday, how people are challenging Jesus and they can get nowhere Finally, he thinks that I have this one question that will reveal Jesus for who he is. And I'll go up and kind of ask it kind of privately. And so he walks up to Jesus and he says, What's the most important? What's the greatest? What's the first commandment? You see, he felt like that he had something Jesus really could not answer. And he kind of asked it quietly, but look how, did you see what Jesus did? He says, the most important is to the guy. And then it's like he turned to the crowd who's been listening and he said, Hear, O Israel. He says, The Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's my personal opinion. I don't think he caught his breath when he said in the second one, it's just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is talking to the scribe. This scribe was kind of, I think, taken aback. He couldn't believe that he and Jesus agreed on anything. The fact that they did agree on it, does that mean that the scribe was a follower, a believer, a Christian? And then the scribe restated back to him and said, you know, you're right. We don't need to miss this point today. Please listen, teenagers. That scribe said, you're right, quoted right back to Jesus all the words he said in agreement. But the truth is, just because we know the right words don't mean that we're following Christ. This this scribe was a learned man. He was highly educated. And at the end of the day, listen to this. Jesus said, you're not far. You're not far from the kingdom. Brother Lawrence came last week and did such a tremendous job speaking God's word into our hearts. Give me a couple of weeks to really kind of meditate on this scripture. And the question comes to my mind. What does it mean? What does it really mean to be not far? 
from the kingdom. What does it mean to be not far? Because I think kind of like I think. The question that comes to me is this. How many people in this room, how many people in this room find themselves in the same position this scribe found himself? Believing self to be in the kingdom when if Jesus gave his evaluation, you would be not far. For the next moments, I want us to consider that truth and that thought. I want you to think about what it means to be not far from the kingdom. And the way we're going to do this, if you flipped on the back of your bulletin, I'll put them up here, and I'm sorry about the screen. I think we have a bulb out. I want to ask two questions. The first question is this. How do you get not far from the kingdom? And the second is like it. What does it mean to be not far from the kingdom? So, question number one. How do you get not far from the kingdom? Well, we need to begin at some very common ground. We need to begin with this truth, that the reason that we are far from the kingdom is because of something called the depravity of man, the depravity of man. It is about our sin nature. Please listen. Neither you, your family, your friends, your parents, your children, your grandchildren, no one of us will move toward the kingdom, if we're left on our own. Our sin nature will take over, and what will develop in us are things like selfishness and self-centeredness and greed and immorality. The things of this world will take over if we're left to our own. How do we get close to the kingdom? I think there's a couple of things that have to come into play and they begin inside, they begin outside. I'm just going to give you two of these very practical things that we need if we're going to get close to the kingdom. First of all, we need a clear destination. First of all, we need a clear destination. Can I just ask a question? This is, this is audience participation. I say that because I want to wake you up so you're not embarrassed, okay? One time the, the preacher got tired of the man sleeping on the third row and he's... He decided he was going to break him from sucking eggs. And he got up that Sunday morning and he beat on a pulpit. And he said, whoever wants to go to hell, stand up now. And the man, all he heard as the preacher hit the pulpit was, stand up now. Nobody else stood up. He woke up and stood up. And he looked around and he said, uh, preacher, I don't know what we're voting on, but it looks like you and I are the only two that are in favor of it. <laughs> I want to ask this question. How many of you, when life is over, you want to go to heaven? <laughs> Some of you weren't sure. <laughs> you know, in all my years of living, in all my years of ministry, never once have I found someone who really wanted to go to hell if they understood the nature of hell. 
I want you to consider the scribe with me today. This guy was learned. This guy, this guy was, his life was very structured. A lot of times for scribes, they would enter training as early as maybe 13 years old. And they would study, and they would develop, and they would learn. But they would never be, whatever you want to, term you want to put on it, ordained, set aside, assigned, licensed, installed, until around age 30, 13 to 30. Now, that's a long college degree. They were taught many things. In fact, when a scribe was licensed or installed or whatever you want to say, when he graduated, many times he would be called on to write legal documents. Now, you need to remember that because that's important for the message tonight. He would be called on to write legal documents. He would be called on to transcribe the Scripture. He spent a great deal of, of time memorizing and knowing the Scripture. He knew the book of the law. He knew the uh, prophets. He understood what it meant. And he knew that he wanted to go to heaven one day. Problem is, the problem is, he felt like that in order to get to heaven and miss hell, a concept that he was very well familiar with, he knew that concept of Gehenna, the valley of Gehenna, where the fire seemed to never go out. It was on what, James, you and Barb been there, the south, southeast side, I think, of, of Jerusalem. He knew about that, and he knew he wanted to go to heaven. But listen, he thought he could work his way into heaven. He thought he could keep all the and get there. You see, folks, we need to have a clear destination of where we're going if we're going to get even get close to the, to the kingdom. In fact, you need to have a clear destination in mind no matter where you're going. For instance, this morning you got up and you came here to worship. Hopefully you made it for Bible study. You came here for worship. Some of you don't know that our mailing address here is 3000 Dwayne. You just know we're on Duane or around the corner. You know exactly where we are so you can get here. But let me ask you a question. What if you had never been to Hueytown, Alabama? What if you drove in and you were getting here on a Sunday morning and you were trying to find Hueytown Baptist Church? Do you think you could find it? Just kind of nose your way around? Do you find it? Possibly. Possibly. You might get close. But quite likely you'd find yourself frustrated because you don't that you might know where you want to go, like we want to go to heaven, just don't quite know where it is. And and so finally you choose to, like people do from time to time when I'm sitting and studying eight thirty or so in the office, I'll get a call and say, Where's y'all's church building located? And so have you ever asked anybody directions? And they were confusing directions. If you get close, that's the second thing you need. Confusing directions. You need confusing directions. Number two. Nothing is as frustrating to your pastor as unclear directions. I mean, I'm from the country. You go into some parts of Mississippi, you go, where does Jim live? And they'll say, you go down that road right there till you get to that old barn. And you take yourself a left. Then you go down to where that old tree is broken. And you take yourself a right. 
And right down there is where Bob killed James, and you can turn left. And then you'll go down to the old outhouse, and you can turn right. Jim lives up there on the left. Bless God, you might get there if you know where all of those things are. But chances are, you could get lost. When I think about the scribe and, the, and the, um, his knowledge... He had great knowledge of the Word of God. But he and the religious leaders had committed themselves to memorize, to enforce, and to believe that the way to heaven was by keeping those 600 laws that we call the rabbinical law, all fashioned from the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. They knew it very well. They knew those laws very well. And the reason that the scribe and Jesus had a kindred spirit was because Jesus began where the scribe began with commandment number one. There should be no other gods before me. The Lord is one. But please listen to the sad part of the scribes and the religious leaders. Are you listening? They were so busy keeping the law of God that they missed the grace of God found in the Son of God. They believed they could work their way into heaven. Talk about confusing. They were saying it was all through the law, and Jesus came and said, it's all through grace, it's all through me, I am the way. I have a great fear in 21st century America. I have a great fear that the church in America, us, are giving confusing directions about how to get to heaven. I fear that we have bought into something that's either like Oprah's theology. There's, there's got to be more than one way. I mean, we know there's one way, but I'm afraid that with our attitude, with our actions, with our, with our demeanor that we have bought into that. There's got to be more than one way. And it's not Oprah's theology, the universalist theology that says everyone, somehow, someday, some way, in some fashion, going to make it to heaven because a good God will not send anyone to hell. Oh, Brother Jerry, I, I don't know about that. How do we do that? Please listen. We send a confusion in the directions of how to get to heaven when we are less than passionate about bringing glory to God in our lives, when we are less than passionate about our worship, when we are less than passionate about sharing with Christ. Our silence says a lot. We do this when we, when we don't live out His truth in our lives. People in this room, by and large, have enough uh, Bible in their heads to change the world. But it's not how much you know that brings about spiritual maturity. It's how much you apply to yourself and live by how much becomes real in you. We even, we even send confused directions by our tolerance. Oops, there's a buzzword today. Now, don't misquote me. Please listen. When we tolerate public and ongoing sin 
in the lives of those people who claim to be followers of Christ, we give a confusing message. We don't apply what we read in this Word to our lives, to our church, to our church culture. We send a confusing message. Conversely, when we lovingly and yet firmly stand on His truth and we offer hurting, hope to the hurting and help to the falling and we give a clear call of a life-changing salvation from Jesus, people respond because people still need the Lord in their hurting, in their hopelessness, in their helplessness. They want, they desire, and they need the truth And we have the truth. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose you go to the doctor tomorrow. He runs a test or two and he walks in. He says, hey, I got some news for you. It would seem to me that you have a terminal disease. That's what they say in the medical journals. Journals. Maybe it's terminal, maybe it's not. Well, they, and the medical journals tell me it's terminal if not treated, but they say that we can treat your terminal disease. But here's what I want to tell you. I don't worry about it too much. Go home and talk to your family, talk to your church family, talk to your friends, talk to anybody you want to, get their opinion. And then, if you don't get any better... Come back to see me in six months. Let me ask you a question. Who in this building would respond well to that kind of medical advice? In fact, is it not true that most of us would seek a second opinion and change doctors? Could I get an amen? Do I have to spend any time insulting your intelligence? saying that we have a terminal disease. The Bible calls it sin. We can get we can get opinions. We can talk to our families. We can get patted on our back for how much we do or how much we give or where we go. But the bottom line is There is a treatment for that terminal disease, and we're holding it. I wonder if we're like that doctor saying, if everything don't go okay for you, come see us when it gets time to die. How do you get not far? Clear destination, confused directions. But the second question before us, what does it mean for you to be not far? This scribe, this scribe was told by Jesus, not anybody else, by Jesus, that he was not far from the kingdom. What does that mean for him and for us? First of all, being not far means you know the truth. You know the truth. The scribe knew all that Jesus said. The scribe agreed with what Jesus said. This teaching about one God and, and we should love him with all we are and our neighbors and ourselves. 
the scribe had this drilled into him. He knew the truth. If there is no other scripture in, in the Bible that moves you, this should be the one. Please listen. Knowing the truth never has been, is not now, and will never be enough to get you in the kingdom. In fact, the Bible says that Satan believes and he shudders. Few people knew more about the Old Testament than described. I mean, he had studied it, the manuscripts. And yet Jesus said to this learned man, he said, You're not far from the kingdom. What could be worse? What could be worse than to know the way? To know the truth. To know the one who is the life and still miss glory. What would be worse than knowing all these things and missing God's grace? What would be worse than this than missing that golden gate? Being not far means you know the truth. The second thing it means, it means that you're close. It means that you're close. Can I ask you a question? How close are you to the kingdom of God? How close are you? Oh, Brother Jerry, you don't worry about me. Man, I, I wish I had a dime for everybody. Some, somebody said, oh, you don't worry about me. I'm taken care of. Well, I do. I do. I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm okay. Well, let me just ask you this question. What if you were to get into your car here in just a second, start home? And an 18-wheeler meets your car, and you'll be ushered into glory. And you, and you find yourself standing in front of Jehovah God. Oh, yeah, on his right side, there's Jesus seated. What would Jesus say? You know, I, I've played sports all my life. Or as some of our young men would tell, me, tell you, I try to play sports. When I played basketball and I shot the ball, I didn't like to put it close. When I played football, I didn't like to drive the ball down close to the goal. When I play golf... Even today, I don't like to put the cop ball close to the hole. I want to be in. I heard a preacher say 25 years ago that some people are going to be this close to heaven. They're going to miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance from their head to their heart. Oh, they know all the truth in their head. They know the right words in their head. Van Huey and I were out a couple of years ago and visited somebody over here on Brook Lane, stopped them and talked in the yard. They knew all the right words in their head. They could deliver the Sunday school answers from their head. But it was apparent 
Nothing had ever happened in their heart. The Bible tells us with our mouths we believe and with the heart. With a mouth we confess and with the heart we believe. You see, you can know Jesus died for your sin in your head. But do you believe it in your heart? You can know that Jesus is God's Son in your head. But has it taken root in your heart? For you see, in your heart is where life change happens. That's why Jesus says, for where your heart is, there's where your treasure is. Because that heart leads us. Are you close? Most of us in this room have been to a fair of some kind. You've been to a fair, a county fair, a community fair, a state fair. And you know that today you go there and you do all those crazy little games that are designed so you can't do them. They have the basketball shoot and the, and the little goal is shrunk up. So they don't have, and, and so, but when you win, you get all these, all these big animals that you can carry to your sweetie, your loved ones, and your kids. But it wasn't all that way, always that way. As older folks, we remember when people had babies, whether or not they smoked or not, they always gave out what? Cigars. Back to the fair, back in the early 20th century, when fairs were really booming, you'd go there and you'd throw at the balloons, those little darts, that you'd throw the balls at the pins. But there was one masculine game there. You remember that perpendicular pole? And you take that hammer and you try to give it all you got to ring the bell. You rung the bell, you got a cigar back then. If you didn't, this is what the, this is what the guy was known to say, close, but no cigar. You may not like that illustration in this way. I don't consider heaven to be a cigar, but when it comes to heaven, here's what I want to say to you. Being close is not good enough. Being close is not good enough. And the last thought that I'm going to give you before we depart this morning is that it means you're not in. It means that you're not in. You can sit in church for 35 years. You can be the chairman of the deacons 17 times, the preacher 32 years. You can lead worship. You, you can teach Sunday school. You can consider yourself the most spiritual person in the church. You can give millions of dollars. And if Christ has not changed your heart, you're not in. I think one of the saddest, one of the saddest truths in God's Word. If you've not listened until now, please listen. I think one of the saddest truths in God's Word is to think of those folks who sit week after week in a service like this and who expect to be saved and will be lost. Brother Jerry, that's easy for you to say, no, it's not. And it's not just my words. Jesus gave us these words. Matthew 7 as he starts to end his famous sermon, some on the mount, listen to the words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, not does my own will, not keeps my own schedule, not does my own thing, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. But then he raises the, the, the bar just a little bit in verse 22, and he says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, see if you do one of these things. Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? This is, these are some people who have done some significant things for the Lord. In verse 23, he says, And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Being close means you're not in. And the only alternative destination is this place of eternal punishment that we know as Hades, that we know as Gehenna, that we know as hell. The scribe in this story, he, he was attempting to stand in his own righteousness, in his own knowledge, in his own works. And Jesus said, you're not far to know Jesus is to be is to confess Jesus with your mouth, to to believe Jesus in your heart. If that scribe didn't have a change of heart, do you know what Jesus is going to say one day to him? He is not going to say, You're not far, man. He's going to say, I never knew you. When we receive Jesus into our lives. When we experience the forgiveness of sin, when the new life comes on us, the Holy Spirit comes in us, excuse me, becomes a part of our lives. Then our lives begin a journey of faith, a journey of love, a journey of doing and serving, a journey of compassion, and a journey of concern about others. And the best part is that Spirit will stay with you from now on. And when Jesus comes in, you'll no longer be not far. You'll be inside the kingdom. Doesn't that sound good? I'm reminded of the story Jesus told in Matthew 25 about the wise and the foolish virgins. The virgins, those foolish virgins didn't make preparation until it was too late. And then the doors were closed. Oh, they were closed. They were at the doorway. I plead with you and I beg you today, don't be satisfied with close. Jesus is calling you home. Let's pray together.